Welcome to Food Farms and Chefs radio show, where we highlight everyone from the top industry leaders to startups and farmers that make it all possible with Chef Jean Blom and photojournalist Amaris Pollock. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. This evening, we're going to begin to kick off the holiday season, talking a little bit about some of the foods that may or may not be on your dinner table, their origins, and how you may want to get involved in that. And we're going to start off talking about an absolutely great tradition um, that I have been involved in for a number of years. And what I truly like um, about this tradition is there's so many different possibilities, and it's really about the biodiversity and the regional specialties of the country of Italy. And I'm going to start off by a little disclaimer in, in saying that I'm Polish, Lithuanian, Ukrainian, Slovak. So if I butcher any words here, you can write me an email, but I apologize in advance. So we're going to talk a little bit about La Cena della Viglia, which is the Feast of the Seven Fishes. And we are joined by uh, a true Italian, the owner of Innovative Catering Concepts, and the producer of A Feast of the Seven Fishes that are available for you, know, for you to purchase for your own celebration. You can order it ahead of time and pick it up or you know get it delivered if you're ordering enough uh, from their location in Williamstown, New Jersey. So that being said, Rocco Galelli, welcome to Food Farms and Chefs. Always a pleasure to have you. Great to be back, guys. Thank you so much, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak of La Vida. La Vigia. So one of the things, you know, that's really spectacular about this, there's like 20 different regions of Italy, and, and this meal has, you know, really has its own traditions based on those regions. Uh, you are from southern Italy. You're from the Calabria region uh, on the Ionic coast. Uh, where did you, you know, where did your family originate from in Italy? Well, my father um, was born in Badolato, Italy, which is a province of Cantanzaro, um, and it's right on the Ionic Sea. And it's true to believe, or there's some ideas or beliefs that this whole vigil uh, originated in southern Italy. And I know from growing up that it was handed down from generation to generation in my family um, to have the Feast of the Seven Fishes, but it could be seven, could be nine, could be 11, could be 13. All depends on uh, who you talk to or what the belief is. Yes, there's there's a lot of different origins, and seven being a, a very common number, uh, rich in Catholic symbolism, uh, the number of seven is repeated over 700 times in the Bible. Uh, there are seven sacraments, there are seven days of creation, and, you know, there are seven deadly sins. So, you know, that number is pretty common. But, you know, some people will do three for the three wise men or the Holy Trinity. Thirteen, as you said, is a common number. The 12 apostles and Jesus. Eleven uh, for the Italians who leave out Jesus and Judas. And, you know, so go with you know that, that situation there. But, you know, it really does focus about the Catholic tradition of abstinence from meat and dairy at certain holidays. Um, right. Today, it's, you know, less, it's really an abstinence from meat. Uh, dairy is rich in the desserts that you'll find that night. So at your family table, what do you have? 
Well, usual the usual suspects, I like to say, the m- most uh, common is the bacala or the salted cod. And then uh, there's always the smelts, which is a very small, soft fish. You, you could eat the bones if you want, but usually it's fried in um, flour. Uh, we do calamar or calamari, depending on how you say it. Um, and then we usually do um, some octopus, some shrimp, some mussels, some clams. I usually do a crab cake or a stuffed flounder. And uh, very rarely do I have seven. Usually it's closer to the 13 number because who likes this, doesn't like that. <laughs> uh, but it's all about tradition and having the family together. And that's what we kind of uh, do it. I, I also serve the white anchovy, um, which is a, you know, a sweeter or I like to say a, a not as salty anchovy. Um, a lot of times we'll make the fried dough or the frito mise um, with the anchovy. But, you know, that's basically the, um, the more common common ones that we do sometimes we'll do a uh, uh whether or not that's considered a fish or so um some oysters so we you know we, we get it around there every once in a while we'll throw a lobster or two in there mm. but uh i'm more of a stuffed galamad galamad and peas type guy yes i was looking through your menu that is available online uh, through innovative catering concepts, I was looking at the Feast of Seven Fishes menu that people could order from, and you know you had it done a couple different ways. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about what you're offering on that menu, and and you know how people go about ordering it. Well, the menu right now is up on our Facebook page and our um, our Instagram page. It'll be added to our uh, homepage on our website uh, very soon. Basically, we offer a variety of different traditional Italian style and or um, options to be able to order. Um, you know, we've gotten all different requests. I fulfill a lot of different um, options each year uh, for different people who likes this, don't like that, who wants this, doesn't want that. But, I mean, the menu's vast. Uh, the menu is uh right now at market price because the price of seafood is crazy and um but we're able to put it together and fulfill everybody's needs especially for christmas eve and i love doing it i mean some people want coconut shrimp some people just Mm -hmm. want fried shrimp some people want shrimp cocktails some people want shrimp scampi i mean we'll pretty much do whatever we have to do and then um basically the what we're asking everyone to do is just get your orders in ahead of time so that we can fulfill everyone's orders and we'll basically cook or do whatever needs to be done. The tradition itself, I, I, I really, it has some ties to other parts of Europe. Uh, you know, the Polish Lithuanian have a similar dinner. That's a meatless dinner that's served on Christmas Eve. And the smelts are a very common thing. I grew up eating them. My mother would make them and, you know, other types of fish, and there was no dairy added to it. Uh, so, you know, boiled potatoes without butter and you know, the salt and things like that. So it really has spread out a little bit, and, and it has a lot of ties to that, you know, the Catholic religion, as I said, you know, and the the different amount. And I always say that, you know, the, the seven fishes is, like I said, you know, 
the the sacraments, the minimum amount of kids that the Catholic family could have, the whole deal, you know, is all tied in there. Um, but it also then follows with just a dessert spread. Uh, do you carry on that as well? You know, with the panettone and and the pandora and the taroni and and everything that goes with that. Usually in our house, because we cook all of the fish, we let the people bring the traditional desserts. Um, the panettone is a staple in almost any any household uh, for us, but they will bring over some of that. They'll do the zeppoli, the taroni, um, but any dessert is welcomed in my house. It's just my diabetes doesn't necessarily agree with it, but it kind of works out well. But we don't carry on that tradition where we sell it from an innovative standpoint, but from a Delelli household standpoint, you're more than welcome to bring any sweets over. Yes, I do know that about you. <laughs> you know, the, the the dinner is all about family and seafood, and that's really a representation of Italy itself, you know, and the coast. The interesting thing, while it dates back centuries, it really did not make its debut or, or really become popular until the early 1900s here in America. And there's a lot of, you know, speculation that that was about the, you know, Italian-Americans that were in New York and on the East Coast wanting to rekindle their, you know, family traditions and their ties to Italy as well as pay some homage to, you know, Italy, which is so dependent on the ocean and the water and, and seafood itself, and it really has sprung from up from there. Um, but is there, you know, if you trace your family back to Italy, it, you know, is there any discussion or has there been anyone that was able to tie that back to going into Italy, you know, in the 1900s or even before then? Um, well, I mean, if you go back to when I did our lineage, um, although it wasn't a deep dive when I did our lineage and went into everything, it does date back for, you know, hundreds of years in our town. Um, and then as people came over to America, you know, to pay the homage to them, which was, um, you know, there, it, it, it's enjoyed and, and, and paying the respects to those of the old country is what, you know, this is all about, and we were able to trace it back a couple hundred years, but we, I haven't done the deep, deep dive to see how far what back it went, but if you went and visited the town, the chapel in town's been there for two, three hundred years. It's crazy. Oh, wow. So. I, I really do love that history and, and how, you know, many cultures keep those traditions alive the Italian families really do a great job on that. If you go down to South Philadelphia at the Christmas season, you go down to the markets, you see the fish, you see the things that are being prepared, obviously the cheese stores and everything that's going with that. So it's really amazing situation. Um, and, and it's such a wonderful thing to be part of. I know you've always been down there and grown up in that region. So it, it's something to really truly enjoy. A little bit about the preparation. Uh, so let's start with uh, Bacala, which is, you know, the, the dried cod, what's mm -hmm. it, what does it take to, you know, that's a long preparation, several days of soaking and dumping out the water and doing different things like that. Tell us a little bit about what that entails. Well, bacala or dried cod is basically a dry, salty fish. Um, 
and we soak it in cold water for approximately three days before we prepare it. Um, there's a lot of different ways to prepare it. Um, my favorite is either a bacala salad or a cod fritter, but you soak it underwater inside a bowl every day or every 24 hours, you empty out the water because it gets salt soaked and you don't want to soak in salt. You're trying to extract the salt out of the cod and, um, it has a unique texture. Um, and you're able to work with it pretty well because it's very versatile in, in um, the substance and um, the meat, we'll call it. And um, But you could do a jambut with it where you make it with the potatoes and the olives uh, in a tomato sauce. We've done it with the um, – we've done it with the um, – We've done it with the uh, fritters where you pan fry it or, or bake it in with uh, some dough. We've done it with the salad where you chill it and you mix it with the different um, colder condiments. So, I mean, that's the best way that I know how to prepare it in different ways that we've worked with it. But um, it is a tradition and it's been around forever and you walk by every old school Italian little market and you get that. Uh, you know what's around because you get that whiff starting right about now or right after Thanksgiving, and you know what that is. You're at the fish market, and that's fried, and that's bacala sitting out there. Sure, sure. And and you know the one of the things about the Italian market in Philadelphia, so much of their food is you know tied to tradition, and then there's you know healthy things as well. And you know you can go in, and and sometimes you'll be in there, and it's the uncomfortable situation. I remember many years ago. Um, you know, you can buy certain genitalia regions from, you know, um, from bowls and they use it to make a soup and the soup mm-hmm. is, the soup is supposed to be kind of the old fashioned Viagra. Uh, so, you know, it was always wonderful when you were in the store and, and a little Italian woman would come in and order it and then everybody behind the counter would be like laughing and giggling and giving her that look. But you know, the Feast of the Seven Fishes, going to the markets, getting all those wonderful things. It's just fun to watch. And everybody has their own little, you know, place to go to where they want to get their fish from, you know, down in South Philadelphia and, and the, the little open-air markets. And then while they're down, they're getting the cheeses and everything to go with that. One of the things that you really feature on your menu, is, you know, is the kalama, the, you know, the squid. You do it a couple different ways, uh, and one of them is stuffing it. What you know? What do you stuff it with? And, and that has to be a tedious process. Well, Gene, depending on the size tubes that you have, the smaller the tube, the more tender it usually is. But the problem that I have is that my fingers are a little bigger, so it's tough to stuff the tube. But <laughs> what we do is we make a bread stuffing. We mix it in with anchovies um, and a couple other seasoning and spices. And... You stuff the tube, you put the toothpicks in it, and then you're able to boil it inside your sauce. And uh, you know, it's and then obviously as the bread expands, it'll it'll hopefully you don't bust out of your calamari tube, and uh, you know you're able to enjoy it. And then the tentacles always make a great sauce. You mix that with the peas and the potatoes and everything else, and it's one of my favorites. I'll tell you that. You said a mouthful there. So. Um... You know, when when you're doing that, I noticed you have very simple things like fried shrimp on the menu and all. 
what are the the you know top three things that people order every year from you for the Feast of the Seven Fishes? Crab cake, hands down, probably the most popular. Um, the galamad, um, or I should say the stuffed galamad, or the calamari and peas, depending if we're just doing the rings and the peas or the stuffed galamad. And usually the shrimp cocktail and just having the shrimp there because the more modern Italian will prefer to do um, the shrimp because more it's more wider appeal but they like the tradition. And there's a couple people that still like the scongili salad or the bacala salad um, that I have a couple customers for that. But without a doubt, it's always the galamad, um, the mussels, the crab cake, the shrimp. And, um, you know, that's pretty much the probably the top three or four that we offer. We were having this discussion not too long ago. Um, about crab meat, which, you know, as everybody knows, you go to the market right now, it's astronomical. And I always go by, if you're making crab cakes, things like that, I prefer a stuffing. I prefer a claw meat. I prefer that that flavor that goes with that. And so many people will know it has to be colossal or jumbo lump or whatever. You know, as a, as a chef, as an Italian who prepares this, you know, for the holidays and quite often as a caterer, what's your thought process? I have to agree with you that all the flavor is in the claw meat, but you have to put, I mean, we usually mix um, two or three to one where we'll use a jumbo or a colossal or a lump um, in with a claw because the claw is all the flavor. And when you're trying to bring out that flavor, but we don't like to use a lot of fill. So we'll actually mix the claw meat in to get the flavor. But then obviously your eyes eat the, uh, you'll eat with your eyes with the Colossal or the Jumbo Lump. Sure, sure. So where can people find your menu? Uh, you are one of the few places that actually do this dinner anymore. It's, it's really rare. There used to be a list that came out in Philadelphia. There would be 20 or 30 places. You know, I, I know of about three, maybe four now that, that do it. So where can people who want to, you know, get the Feast of the Seven Fishes, uh, the vigil, where can they get the food? Right now, the easiest place is to send me a message on either Facebook Messenger or Instagram. Uh, it's Innovative Catering Concepts or Innovative Catering Concepts on Instagram, or you can call 856-740-3352. Um, and in the next day or so, it's up going to be up online at ICCCatering.com. Wonderful. You know, there's a great movie. I don't know if you've ever saw it. It's called The Feast of the Seven Fishes. It's about an Italian family, actually, that owns a fish market in Pittsburgh. And it's set back some years. And it's an absolutely wonderful movie that's based on the feast and everything like that. I recommend anybody see that movie. You can get it, I believe, on Netflix. Uh, watch it. Call Innovative Catering Concepts or get a hold of Rocco and place an order. Even if you're not Italian, we can get it other nights leading into Christmas. I can get it a night or two before. Yes, no? Yes. I mean, preferably Christmas Eve, but if there's enough orders, we'll do it a couple of days prior to. Great. Great. Rocco, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Appreciate you being here to talk to us about the Feast of the Seven Fishes. Uh, for our listeners out there, for you, uh, Buono Feste, you know, Merry Christmas. Thank you so much. 
on an Italy. Thank you so much. Bye-bye now. Bye, Rocco. To become a sponsor of Food Farms and Chefs and have your business or event promoted on two radio stations in Philadelphia that play on Tuesdays during Drive Time Radio and on a station in New York on Fridays at 1 p.m., you can email us at foodfarmsandchefs at yahoo.com, ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com, or arpolicus at gmail.com. And we're back, and I would love to introduce all of our Food Farms and Chefs family out there that's listening to Chef Joe Muldoon, who is the owner of Haddon Culinary. Joe, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on on the show. And, you know, I uh, really appreciate this opportunity to talk to you guys. Oh, it's no problem. And, I mean, we were talking a little bit before we started recording. Um, I guess I I should have uh, let you know that. But you're surrounded. Your location is in such a great area. Um, Both of your locations, I should say, um, is in such a great, like, foodie area in South Jersey. But um, why don't you tell our listeners, how did you get into the culinary field? So... I got into the culinary field, you know, I, I think growing up, my mother was a home ec teacher and, uh, you know, I would, I, she, you know, she would, uh, she would always have me in the kitchen with her. And it was just something that I, I grew up cooking or grew up doing. And, um, you know, it was, it was, it was very much a part of the foundation of my, uh, you know, my childhood. So when I had to come, when I had to decide on what I was going to do, I, you know, Emerald was starting to be, you know, was just starting to gain popularity and, you know, Tyra Florence and, and I would sit and watch some of the cooking shows before they were, you know, real, really popular. And, uh, I'm, I'm going as far as back as like Ming Tsai and things like that. And, you know, it just seemed like a natural, comfortable decision for me. And it just worked out, you know, I, thanks, thanks to, uh, I, thanks to my mom. Yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of chefs and a lot of, you know, even home cooks out there that are self-taught um, that get into the industry are are either throwbacks or always from family members. And, you know, it just it kind of brings the heart back into, you know, what you do because you have those, you know, wonderful memories cooking alongside one of your family members and, you know, learning learning techniques early on. Well, my partner, uh, my business partner, uh, James Liuza, you know, he, you know, attributes the same, uh, you know, he, he learned everything from his mother as well. And, you know, uh, she, she, there's a lot of her recipes that you'll see throughout uh, our market as well. So, I mean, I think we both owe, we both owe everything to our mothers for sure. <laughs> and um, speaking of, you know, throwback or shouts out shout outs where where did you actually study um to become a professional chef so i i went to i I went to johnson and wales and again it was right around you know uh it was was, i was deciding between johnson and wales or the cia Mm -hmm. and again that's right when when emerald and power and they're all really starting to gain popularity and it it seemed like johnson wales was at the top when i was making the, 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 the decision so I spent two years in Norfolk, Virginia, and then another two years in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, in between that, uh, I was able to do a, uh, an internship in Hawaii and Maui. Oh wow! And uh, that whole, you know, I mean, that's part of the, you know, our, our, my schooling, and I have to, you know, I have to include that because it was definitely the best experience of my life and my career. 
But, uh, you know, I spent an extra year or two down in Charlotte because that was a, a, a booming uh, culinary scene. You know, as soon as the university or wherever the university goes, you know, restaurants just start to, I mean, the, the culinary atmosphere down there is incredible because of the school. It was, it was a, uh, they just opened up the Charlotte campus. Uh, I was like, what, well, the first graduating class down there. But that's where I went, Johnson Wells. Oh, wow. James did, James did as well, yeah. Oh, is that how the two of you met? Yeah, you know, I mean, he was also, uh, you know, uh, a big, big reason why I chose Johnson Wells because he was a Johnson Wells graduate, and uh, you know, he's a couple years older than me. He was, uh, they they required uh, the CIA requires you to like work in in hold a job in in the restaurant industry like a, for like nine nine to twelve months before you go to school. And the place that I went to was Scott and Run in Williamstown. It's in it's a it's a golf course, and they had a restaurant there. And James was the uh, James was the chef. And uh, like you know, I was a, I was a busboy. You know, I was just trying trying to get my uh, you know my feet wet. And you know, I was I was deciding between the two schools. And you know, he he obviously uh, you know was the he 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 helped me make my decision, and it was the right decision for sure. Yeah. And I mean, I've tasted your stuff, too, because, you know, so I know personally that you're extremely talented because I've I've tasted what you've created in the kitchen at um, one of your previous uh, places of employment. And then, you know, that that kind of led you into opening up Haddon Culinary, which um, what was it like to open up, you know, a, a market in and going from, you know, being an employee to bl- being somebody who's an owner. Well, was, you know, I before you before we had met, because I was at Ristelli's and we did a nice, uh, you know, I think when we first met, I was at Ristelli's and we were we were trying to showcase the uh, our new uh, Hill Creek Farms project, a partnership. And before that, though, I owned a restaurant down in Northfield, New Jersey, uh, which is kind of like the you know, Atlantic City area. And, uh, you know, so I, I did have a good amount of experience of, of being a business owner, but in the restaurant scene. Yeah. You know, so, you know, Rostelli's had helped me um, see the bigger picture and, you know, oversee two different properties because, you know, they had at the time they had the, uh, the, the Marlton, they had the Defford property and then Hill Creek, which is why they brought me on. Um, so, you know, that so it was actually nice to be able to kind of have that type of um, experience before going to Rostelli's to kind of look at the bigger picture and, and know what it's like to, to be in charge of, you know, multiple properties and then coming into this, uh, you know, having, having, having both scenarios kind of under my belt, uh, it really helps. It's, it's different now because, uh, you know, especially during the pandemic, you know, things are a little bit scary. It's all on us, you know, but I, I was always used to the, the, uh, uh, I don't know, I, for lack of better terms, the do or die kind of mentality, you know, that that a, that a business owner should have because, uh, you know, all my other previous jobs, there's always been a lot of pressure, you know, there's always been a lot of weight and I've always handled it. I've always killed it. So, you know, it's, it's just nothing, it's just a different, it's just different because it's, it's not, it's, it's not a restaurant, it's prepared foods. We feature, you know, we focus on, um, you know, we focus on great prepared foods, well-made prepared foods. There's a lot of time put in everything, and it's just different from a restaurant. But, you know, you still get the same, you know, quality, the, you know, the chef-driven quality that you can't find anywhere else at Han Kone. 
Yeah. <clears throat> and when I saw you more recently, I um, eyed up those quiches that you had referenced prior to uh, joining us on the radio show. But um, I and and I have to say, I was like, I kind of wanted to buy every single one of them because they looked absolutely delicious. But um, I, I want to like throw throw out like a, a nod to you because everything that you've created like is scratch made. And, you know, the ingredients that you utilize are all, you know, obtained from local purveyors that, you know, so you're like, not only are you in an, a great area and like, you know, feeding the culinary, you know, area, the culinary scene that's located in, in both Haddonfield and, and uh, Collingswood, but you're also like supporting the communities by giving back, you know, by, by offering those, those uh, products and ingredients. Oh yeah. Now well, we, it's, we have a lot of fun during the summertime. I, mean, I guess it's a little hard, you know, for those, for those of the listeners that haven't, you know, that haven't been to us yet. You know, we're a chef-driven prepared foods market, and we do make everything, just like you said. It's a scratch-made operation. Uh, we make all of our soups from stock. We make all of our sauces. You know, that quiche uh, and our signature chicken pot pie is made from an all-butter pie crust uh, that we do not buy. We, it takes a lot of time for us to make the dough, form the dough. You know, you got to – there's so many steps involved just with that chicken pot pie. But I'm going to tell you, when you buy it, you're going to be thankful you did, and you're going to be able to taste it. The, the nine or ten different steps with everything and, yeah you know we're 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 small enough where we're able to you know like the former operation i just said you know we're small enough to be, be able to maintain that anything larger and then we have to start cutting corners we have to buy you know we have to buy base we have to buy prefabricated items because we're just we're, we're too large and we can't handle it but now nah, but 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 we can handle what we have now and that's what I mean, that we don't want to take on anything more because then, then, then food quality gets compromised. And that just can't happen. That's not us. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, I know you well enough to from, from, you know, the different locations and different places that you've worked at that I've, you know, integrated myself in <laughs> with the foodie world and keep covering it as a media personality um that you really do put a lot of heart in it and it matters like it matters to any chef to like be able to to get the scratch ingredients get like everything <clears throat> that's fresh um because it does make a huge difference in the taste profile um and you had mentioned you know the pie crust and the effort that you you make in order to uh create the dough i've made pie crust from scratch and it is tedious cutting the butter into the flour um and and getting it to the right consistency with all the different with the eggs and the and whatnot um it, it does take a very long time so i i applaud you for making so many of them um and and using an all butter crust because that's that huh, that makes such a difference on the taste of any pie well we just did you know we just got out of thanksgiving you know we were in the trenches for that and it was a nice holiday successful holiday but you know we made over 300 pies you know and, and 300 might not be that big of a number on some of the larger stores but 300 pies out of this operation all done by hand with the you know, it's just it's it, it's a lot so yeah. you know we 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 feel great about that we feel great about you know all the food that comes out of there and out of here and uh, we're looking forward to, you know, the Christmas holiday, which is what we're, you know, kind of what we're looking at now. And, you know, we're right every just like everybody else. You know, we're looking at the next holiday. 
And it's funny that you brought that up. I almost don't have to prompt you because I was going to ask you what you have coming up for uh, the holiday season. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, it's 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 easier for Thanksgiving. Everybody has the same thing. Everybody needs a turkey. But for us, it's it's uh, and just like everyone else, it's 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 just it's madness because it's we have a butcher shop, you know. So we do we hand cut all of our steaks. We make all of our own sausage. You know, I got nine different varieties of bacon that we make in house. We got a smoker. So you know, that's just to say the the to speak to the different options that we have, but. You know, for Christmas and the holidays, everybody wants a you know something different. Prime rib, they want a whole strip roast, they want a pork roast, they want a uh, fillet roast. There's uh you know there's so many different things, but we have we'll have everything. We'll have a menu that covers everything. We'll have a menu from our butcher shop that you can get you know a roast for you know six people or twelve people or whatever you want. But the difference is, is you can walk in, you can get your prime rib roast. And then you could step to the side and you can get a uh, butternut squash and kale risotto, right? And then you could literally turn around and then you'll get a, a, a truffle oil gift set mm-hmm. that's imported from, from Italy, right? Or a, uh, you know, a, a panettone gift set or, a, you know, a pasta gift set. I just, I have a, 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 a make your own uh, 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 strawberry crostata kit. That you can get for somebody so you know Haddon culinary uh you know is is just evolving into something that is just so incredible it's going to be the uh food gifting destination of south jersey so you don't have to go over to uh new york or over the bridge in philadelphia to find that incredible gift to give to one of your relatives you can find it right here in Haddon culinary in collingswood or hanfield and i'll tell you who doesn't love food as a gift Right. Right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> and not only that, but, you know, you, you can also pair it because I'm a huge coffee lover. You also uh, work very, very closely with Revolution Coffee Roasters. Um, and, and I have to give a nod to them because you have a whole like cafe area that's set aside. So you can go in, shop, buy your Christmas gifts for, you know, your foodie lovers in your family. I mean, and and they don't even have to be foodies because who doesn't love food? I mean, it's it's sharing food or cooking something or creating something or giving a, a gift of food is a way to share love. So it's kind of perfect in the hol- you know, with the upcoming holiday season coming up. It's uh, you know, it's it just yeah. I mean, I can't say enough about about revolution i mean we have we we have a coffee bar over at hanfield i mean we feature that's all we do is feature that's the only coffee we sell it's the only coffee i've i've, I've consumed for the last three years it's uh it has to be freshly roasted the flavor is like no other i can't like the other coffees are just so bitter and this has such a natural sweetness to it and uh i just I, I, I try, you know, I try to have your, you know, to get something from somewhere else every so often. I can't finish it. It, it doesn't even compare to the Revolution Coffee that, that's available in our stores or, you know, right down the road because they, they, they do everything locally. They're, they're two blocks over. Yeah. That's where we're getting our coffee from. Which is, you know, amazing. Now, something else that you did um, when you opened up your second location is I saw that you had like a tasting dinner. Um, will you continue doing, well, you know, with everything that's, you know, the the energy and, you know, everybody's coming, you know, coming back to like a normal, normal life. 
Um, will you continue to do tasting menus at all? Because you offer so many other things. So it, it's a little, you know, believe it or not, the, the the first tasting dinner we did was featuring Revolution Coffee through everything. So it's funny you should say that. It was just such a such a beautiful night that night. And, um, you know, we had, uh, you know, coffee cured salmon, half the coffee cured bacon, um, uh, you know, so it, it really, it really allows us to get creative uh, and inspires us. So yes, we'll continue doing that, um, uh, through uh, actually the next couple of tasting centers that we're going to do will be through Auburn road, uh, winery. And that's in, um, Hamilton, uh, I feel like. Ha- nah, uh, it's like it's like it's like it's it's uh, Auburn. It's like Sharptown, Auburn, Sharptown, Auburn Road, Sharptown Road. It's like outside of Piles Grove. Oh, okay. You know, it's uh, right over the Delaware Memorial Bridge, and it's about thirty minutes from us. It's right down the road from Malka Hill. So, I mean, just to say, you know, it's right down the road from Malka Hill, and uh, we're their exclusive caterer, and uh, they have a beautiful outside outdoor setting. Um, it's uh you know you'd be sitting there having a five four or five course meal in where in, in between the vines you know so i mean what what more of a i mean it's just such an incredible setting and beautiful outside venue space and they have indoor seating as well so that's that's going to be the next couple of menus we'll be indoors it'll be it'll be cold out there out there but you'll be warm but yeah <laughs> auburn road partnership partner auburn road and, and Hen culinary we'll be doing uh, tasting menus uh, throughout the year. That's amazing. Now, time goes by fast when you're having fun. Um, So we are actually running out of time. So I want to ask you one last question before we let our listeners know where to find you and how to order food um, coming up and and where to find you online. But you have an anniversary coming up to celebrate. So are you going to have any events related to that? Man, you know what? You caught me off guard. I, I wasn't even thinking about that. You're right, because it's uh, the 19th. It's going to be right, right in the middle, right in the middle of the busiest week of the year. And that's crazy that we we tried to open or that we opened last year during the busiest week. <laughs> so I know, the, I know, I know we're going to uh, allow allow the holiday season to, to take place and transpire normally. So nothing on the exact date. It just it's just crazy that I did to remind me that we tried to, that we actually opened during that time. <laughs> no, you know what? There's not everything to celebrate is in our store from now until the rest of the until the end of the year. I'll tell you half it's 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 so hard to put in words. It's so hard to visually describe it. So you got to come and take a look at Hand Culinary in Collinswood or in Hannafield. Again, the food destination, the the food gifting destination of South Jersey. All right. And where can they find you online? Online, handculinary.com. And then uh, both stores are open seven days a week. Uh, and then just uh, and, and then uh, the Collingswood loca- location has the butcher shop. So that's where you can get all the house-made sausage, all the, uh, ha- uh, you know, the, uh, the, the nine different flavors of bacon and uh, everything else in that butcher shop. It's so incredible. <laughs> well, my my co-host head whipped when you said the the butcher shop and the bacon in particular. So and in sausage. So uh, we'll we'll have to maybe come and, and do a tasting of all the different bacon's. You'll you'll have to. It's the best sausage and bacon you can get. That's for sure. 
All right. Well, thank you so much, Chef Joe, for joining us on Food Farms and Chefs. And everyone, go check out Haddon Culinary. Thank you so much for having me on, guys. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you, too. And we will be right back with our next segment after the short break. Hey everyone, it's Amaris Pollock and Gene Blum here from Food Farms and Chefs. We wanted to wish you a wonderful holiday season. And if you're looking for a delicious way to celebrate, you can tune in to Food Farms and Chefs on WWDB at 6 p.m. on Tuesdays. And we are back with our very own chef and culinary historian, Gene Blum, who is going to be talking all about beer and tranquility. And tranquility and how to mix the two. During the holiday season, we all need a little bit of tranquility. And I will explain to you where to find that and how to get that. But we just came off a wonderful holiday. One of the really growing trends in America, been that way for a couple of years now, is the microbrewery world. Uh, you know, the small distillants and, you know, obviously winemaking, but beer has grown so much. You know, there's apps online, there's ale trails everywhere. Uh, I live up in Bucks County, so there's the Bucks County Ale Trail where you can check in on your phone. You can see what each brewery's having and what they're serving, what their latest things are. You uh, go to so many breweries, you get a T-shirt. You know, it's, it's such a growing thing. It's a really wonderful, wonderful segment. And I grew up, you know, drinking beer, and, and I always make the joke that when I was a child and we were taking our father's beer when we were underage, uh, no one wanted my father's beer because he was from the coal region of Pennsylvania, and he didn't drink Miller or Budweiser or... Even know, the college, like, Natty Ice. Yeah, he, no, he, yeah, he didn't drink, you know, what was big back then. You know, everybody wanted... Michelob, ah, Michelob was the stuff, you know, and <laughs> and and Miller and things like that. Even you know Heineken. My father drank Yingling, and nobody wanted my dad's beer because hmm. it was Yingling. What's that coal miner stuff? Ah, we don't want that. You know, today Yingling is about twelve dollars more than a case of Budweiser or Miller or something like that, and certainly, you know, a much better quality beer. And then you know you get into everything else that's out there now that are just handcrafted you know, wonderful, wonderful quality products. But beer is, you know, it's been around for a long, long, long time. I mean, you know, it, it goes back, you know, thousands of years. Um, there are really only two types of beer. There are ales and there are lagers. And underneath them, you know, there's a lot of different subcategories. And there's kind of some offshoots a little bit. But if you look at the beer world and, and when people start to talk about the beer, there you know, there's a couple. Everybody talks about little abbreviations and things like that that you need to know, like ABV. You know, that is the alcohol by volume, uh, basically how strong it is, and it's measured in percentages. And then you know, you'll start to get an international bitterness unit too, and it'll give you an idea of how bitter something is. But even there, things that are you know have a real high bitterness um, number, if they have a really high you know, percentage of malt, you don't even taste the bitterness. So, you know, that that's not as important as the alcohol by volume. But beers are really um, segmented by, you know, ales and lagers. And the real difference on the two is both use different types of yeast. Um, so 
with an ale, it is a top fermenting type of yeast. So it literally lays on the top of the beer or the, you know, the wort and, and ferments from the top down. It's also a warmer temperature uh, fermentation. So it's very commonly done by home brewers. You'll see ales are probably the, you know, they are the most common home brewing thing because a lot of people don't have refrigerated brewing systems. So the ales are that. And, you know, there's so many different types of ales. And under that, you know, you get brown ales, you get Indian pale ales, American pale ales. You get, you know, porter, which is a dark, you know, color. It's a roasted malt aroma. Uh, it just, you know, it can be fruity or dry, but it's it's a really nice dark beer. You get stouts. I love stouts. They're less sweet than, than porters usually. They often feature like a bitter flavor that you can get in there, such as a coffee. But, you know, they have that like unmalted roasted barley added to the wort, which, uh, you know, really gives it a nice little, uh, you know, bitterness to it. And, you know, stouts are really known for their thick, creamy head. Um, Most common, Guinness. You know, Guinness is is a stout. Very common. Then you get into lagers, which is the other type. Um, lagers are, you know, a lower or cold temperature fermentation that is a bottom type of uh, bottom fermenting yeast. And lagers are often common in places like Chechnya and Germany, uh, the Netherlands, Canada. You'll see a lot of lagers, things like that come out. You know, Bach is a form of lager. Um, it's a dark lager as well. But, you know, you get them in some of the colder regions. They just a whole different concept of beer. So under ales, you'll get a lot of little subcategories. Probably the, the largest variety, you'll get the blonde ale, which is a big summer favorite. A uh, little trace of hops, uh, uh, a light malt sweetness, pale color, clear body. It's nice and crisp, a little, you know, a little dry even. Brown ales, which I love. Uh, they're amber to dark brown or amber to brown. They often have like notes of chocolate or caramel or citrus added to it. Um, they're very underrated. And they really probably the most variety of beers you can get out there are the brown ales because you could um, add so many different things to really accent that. So you can play with it like... You know, you could add pumpkins to it. You could add things like that. You get a lot of fall flavors going in that. You get the pale ale, which is an English-style ale. Uh, It's usually a little copper in color, uh, fruity scent. But one of the things that I really like about pale ale is I like spicy foods. So the pale ales, and even the American pale ale and the India pale ale, they, they go well with spicy foods. So, you know, the the pale ale, which is the English style. Then we have an American pale ale. The American pale ale is like between 4.5 to 5.5 ABV, somewhere in that line. It's kind of a hybrid of the, you know, English pale ale and the India pale ale. The India pale ale is a British ale that has had a lot of hops, extra hops added to it. It has a real high level of uh, hops. That is a really a bittering agent, but it makes it uh, very stable. 
So when they were brewing it and then shipping it to India from the British Isles, it would survive that long sea journey. So it was a, you know, a, a beer that they could do that. And depending on the type of hops, you know, the IPAs, you can get a nice fruity or citrus tone to it, but you can also get like a resin or pine tone to it too, which is, you know, a whole different flavor profile. So you can get some really cool things going on in that. You then get into wheats. Um, you know, they're light, they're soft, um, they're smooth. You get a little citrus into it. I like wheat beers. You can do so many things. They're very crisp, refreshing beers. They get a lot of different fruitiness. Right now I have one that we just brewed that is um, a raspberry wheat. That replaced the mango wheat that we just you know, brewed about two months ago. Um, just a lot of great flavors going on there. So then if we get into another type, get into lagers, you get into, you know, Pilsners. Pilsners are, um, th there's a lot of different type of Pilsners. They're usually distinguished by their water. So whether it's a hard water uh, or, you know, a water with high mineral content, uh, you know, a neutral water, but the, the Pilsners are often affected by the water quality much more than other things. They're dry. They're slightly bitter. You get a little bit of light golden crispness to it. They are really a great summer beer. Um, I think Pilsner is just so refreshing in the summertime. And go back to ales. We want to get a sour ale. What distinguishes a sour ale? Well, wild yeasts is the number one thing. But sour ales, I think they're a summer beer. People like them all times a year. I, I go back with a summer beer. They have that uh, tart tang to it. Uh, pairs well with really good tropical fruits and spices. And then under that, there are a lot of different type of, you know, subcategories of sour ales. There's Lambrechts, which are a Belgian sour that's mixed with fruits. So it, it picks up a lot of fruit tones and things like that. Uh, the Gosses, which is a German sour that actually has a little coriander and sea salt in it. It's a whole different beer into itself. And then there's the Flanders, which... If you've never had one, they're very difficult to find because it's a Belgian sour that's fermented in a wooden tank. So it's a whole different world. You know, but understanding just the basics of beer is a really important thing. And, and getting involved, you can just go on to, you know, Untapped is a great app. Look for your local ale trails. You know, get involved a little bit and start to educate yourself. It's such a wonderful thing in Pennsylvania, uh, where we're at now to be able to do the microbreweries. And in Pennsylvania, there's a lot of different styles of liquor license. There's the full liquor license. There's the microbrewery license. Um, and one of the variations of the microbrewery license allows you to also sell wine and spirits, but they must be Pennsylvania wines and spirits, hmm. which is a really wonderful thing for promoting Pennsylvania um, spirits is a great thing. I mean, in Philadelphia, we have great, great distilleries. I mean, you know, you want vodka, we can go to stateside. We can go to a lot of different places. You know, there's a, just so many different types of, you know, liquor or local distilleries to use. So it brings me to talking a little bit about Tranquility. So Tranquility is a place where I've learned a great deal about beer. Tranquility is Tranquility Brewing Company. 
It is in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. It is in a building that once housed the training center for astronauts prior to going to the moon. Um, there are tours available at that. But Tranquility itself, they have a, a great brewmaster. Um, I joke that he's kind of a you know, unique human being. The fact that he's a Grammy Award-winning music producer <laughs> that produces amazing beer. Um, and prior to producing amazing beer, he makes what I think is the best ice cream I've ever had in my entire life. Yes, that is a square, a really strange skill set. Grammy Award-winning music producer, ice cream maker, brewmaster, but he does those three really, really, really well. That's Jim Cavero. Um, uh, studio is uh, ECR East Coast Recording, um, but you know, Jimmy just has that knack and. You know, he's been really teaching me a great deal, learning to brew a little bit from him, the whole process of what takes place, you know, not realizing what it takes to get a beer. I, I walked in and I enjoy a lot of different beers. I never realized how, you know, it's it's almost a three-week period sometimes to get beers out of tanks and to do things like that. So a couple of the beers that, that we're featuring at Tranquility Brewing, I've been there, is, you know, the raspberry wheat. Uh, there is a chocolate um, stout right now that is to die for. Um, it is a liquid Hershey bar um, that's going on. Their hazy is really wonderful. They have an American IPA as well as um, a regular IPA. They have um, just a really great selection. There's a winter ale that's about to come out of the tanks now. You know, there's just uh, some really, really great beers. You can find them on the Untapped app. You can look under the Bucks County uh, Ale Trail, or you can just look up Tranquility Brewing Company. If you're in the area, they are the only craft brewery in Warminster, Bucks County, so central part of Warminster. They have an amazing menu that goes with it. What I really like about them, they are dog-friendly. As a matter of fact, on the 10th, 11th, and 17th and 18th from 12 to 3. Uh, Santa Claus will be there. Santa Claus will be uh, <coughs> there doing pictures with dogs and kids both. Um, so apparently Santa's a big beer lover. Um, he's going to stop in. He's going to have a couple beers. He's going to be doing pictures. There's going to be stuff for the kids. Uh, just a lot going on. You can find Tranquility Brewing online on their Facebook page on the Tranquility Brewing where you can stop in at 780 Falcon Circle in Warminster, uh, or you can go to their website, www.renttheFuge.com, R-E-N-T-T-H-E-F-U-G-E. But find a little tranquility, come in, get some swag, drink a little bit of beer, have some great food. I'm going to go out on, on, a, <coughs> on the line here, and I'm going to tell you, the best burger in Bucks County. That being said, have a great night, everyone. Enjoy. Drink a beer. And for all of our listeners, you can find Gene Bloom at ibfoodie2 or Gene Blum across social media, or you can email me at ibfoodie, the number two, at yahoo.com. And you can find me across social media at ARPolicus or email me to be a sponsor or guest on the show at ARPolicus at gmail.com or email both of us at foodfarms, the letter N, chefs at yahoo.com. <laughs>